The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Uh, we've been very clear from the beginning that what we saw on January 6th was the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. We believe that the evidence described by my colleagues today and assembled throughout our hearings warrants a criminal referral of former President Donald J. Trump, John Eastman, and others for violations of this statute. We make a referral based on Title 18, Section 1001, which makes it unlawful to knowingly and willfully make materially false statements to the federal government. The evidence clearly suggests that President Trump conspired with others to submit slates of fake electors to Congress and the National Archives. The fourth and final statute we invoke for referral is Title 18, Section 2383. The statute applies to anyone who incites, assists, or engages in insurrection against the United States of America and anyone who gives aid or comfort to an insurrection. An insurrection is a rebellion against the authority of the United States. It is a grave federal offense. Those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed, no. In the opinion of the chair, the ayes have it. Um, the latest Twitter file showed that the intelligence community was actively involved in discrediting the Hunter Biden laptop story. Does it bother the president and those at the White House that a government agency like the FBI was involved in suppressing a legitimate news story? Yeah, I'm just going to refer you to the FBI. I'm not going to comment from here about that. Uh, but again, we are doing the work. The president has been doing the work at the border since day one. It would be wrong to think that the border is open. It is not open. And I just want to be very, very clear about that. Okay, we're, we remained under a court order to lift Title 42. That is Aren't a court order. That, that is a court order that is telling us to lift Title 42. And we're going to comply because we follow the rule of law. That is sought to lift that it. is but it is a court order but that is that started by you guys it was a court order that has been provided to us and so now we have to comply and that is we have to comply by december 21st so just as we were saying yesterday here you have the the united states being invaded essentially from the south you've got barack obama the spirit of antiochus turning the united states into a police state and yet uh, they don't have a lot to say when they're pressed on that. And there really aren't that many journalists who will press them. But you bring up Trump and they certainly have a lot to say about that. There she is saying that it was worse, worse than Pearl Harbor and 9-11. And the worst since the Civil War. We've got lots to unpack on today's show. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us today. The weather's turning cold, I believe, not just here, right across the United States, well, in the east anyway. So, uh, so yeah, it's time to pull out the sweaters and the overcoats uh, and to uh, dig in for some intense winter programming, at least with respect to the Trumpet Daily. You can get to our live video stream of this show through 
our website. That's thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live, and you can get to all the podcasts, too, whether they're downloaded to your device or you just listen at our website, thetrumpet.com. So just going back to, I know we covered a lot there in the opening montage. I just thought I'd try to bring as much together as possible rather than break it up into a million different parts. But just on that point, with respect to the, the closed border, as she called it, and you see these people just streaming across or waiting. Evidently, the Supreme Court now is, is going to delay that uh, lifting of Title 42. So we'll see what happens in the days ahead. I think the Biden people have a chance to, to uh, submit their brief later today. But as you heard one of the reporters pressing uh, the French lady there, <laughs> you want this. This is what you want. She's talking like, well, that's the court order. We've got to do it. She's like, no, this is your policy. You want it to be wide open. You're for this invasion. And that's the truth. Unfortunately, there just aren't that many reporters like that. Sam made this point to me yesterday. When you see them yucking it up, you know, Biden saying just two weeks ago, he was actually visiting Arizona. I can't, uh, I can't really visit the border. I think it was Peter Ducey who said, how could you come to Arizona? You're 120 miles from the border. You've never visited the border. How could you come to Arizona, of all places, and not go to the border? And Biden said, I, I've got too many more important things to do. I think he was uh, going to talk about an infrastructure bill because they're really good at spending money. They've got the $1.7 trillion. They're going to ram that through this week. But he was there to talk infrastructure. And meanwhile, the nation's being invaded. It's being invaded. 2.75 million illegals coming into the United States just this year. Just in this calendar year. Can't be bothered with that. Here he spends 40% of his time on vacation. And then he sits down, he and his wife, with uh, the E.T. girl yesterday. And they're just laughing, having a good old time. This nation is not just under attack, as I said yesterday. It's besieged by curses just all over the place. Tucker had a segment last night on the border invasion, and he just keyed in on El Paso, and it was just difficult to watch. To see a city destroyed in just five years' time, as Tucker said at the end of his segment, the nation is not going to go back to what it was even five years ago. But he was just referring to El Paso. What about Philadelphia? Or we mentioned Denver yesterday on the show. New York City, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Portland. So much of this has happened just in the past few years, even as these radicals, many of them sitting on that committee, trying to destroy Donald Trump, these radicals that want to also defund the police, handcuff the police, even as they unleash the state police on Trump supporters. Listen to Tucker's uh, segment last night on El Paso, clip six. CBP sources tell Fox News the El Paso sector has already seen over 139,000 migrant encounters since October 1st. That's enough to fill up L.A. SoFi Stadium twice and it reflects a 255% increase over the same time last year. Imagine if that was your city, your city, where you work and raised your family, the city that you built. 
And then one day some guy gets elected and decides to destroy it and the media ignore it. No one even covers it. Most Americans have no idea your city has been destroyed. That's Tucker from, uh, from last night. And as I say, he goes on and says how that the country will never be what it was just five years ago. I can refer you again to America Under Attack. This quote from the book, it says, look around. This country is in a catastrophe. Radicals are destroying the nation, foolishly thinking that somehow they will be able to control, to control these ruinous uh, anarchic forces they are unleashing. They're unleashing all of these ruinous forces, and they think somehow in the end we'll still be in charge, we'll be in control, and we'll be able to control everything. He refers to Amos 7 and verse 9 in this section I'm quoting from, where it talks about the sanctuaries of Israel. And my father elaborates on this word sanctuary, which you hear a lot today with respect to sanctuary cities or sanctuary states, and really the whole country is becoming a sanctuary country. As Tucker pointed out in his segment, you have all these reporters going from one, that the, the El Paso uh, airport is like a homeless shelter. And you go from one person to the next, and they all come from Venezuela, some of the island nations in the Caribbean, all over the world. My father says, in the modern nations of Israel, it could be describing sanctuary cities. It could portray our, our sanctuary nation where our leaders allow anyone and everyone to flow across the border. He says, many are looking for a better life, but others are violent members of gangs or cartels and smugglers bringing drugs, slaves, and thousands of destitute people uh, here. So many of them are just young men. People like to tug at the heartstrings with the, uh, you know, the family, the families that are coming in. But those are in the minority. Just look at the footage. People streaming in, young men, 20s, 30s, just, just flooding into the United States. My, my father says here, how can this sanctuary nation policy not tear this nation apart? How can this continue no other nation in the world can, can, can sustain this kind of unrestricted uh, immigration. As I say, coming from all over the world. And, and these are not people, so many of them, that are eager to become American patriots. And then to say nothing of all the, the violent criminal elements. You, you just don't know. That's why Title 42 was put in place under the Trump administration because you just don't know what diseases they're even bringing in. How can this sanctuary nation policy not tear this nation apart? Our leaders do not even screen them. No screening. They just come right in. They just come right in. As I said yesterday, we were right about it, weren't we? <laughs> Here you have the, the nation just being ripped apart and yet these radicals doing everything that they can to just put the spotlight on Donald Trump. He comes out with his comments on Truth Social, and he's right about this. He says, the more, the more you attack me, the stronger my position will be. The more patriots will rise up and say, this is unfair. This is unjust. He's being attacked. It's just relentless. There's no let up. Now you look at the Drudge headline today. Next is tax returns. Oh, okay, so now we're already into tax returns. 
Maybe that's because the, the, the so-called criminal referrals yesterday were weak through and through. A 154-page summary report. This is just the summary. And it's filled with all kinds of fluff. It was a made-for-TV moment, just like those primetime hearings a few months ago. They got the Hollywood producer to come in. It's all made for the narrative. It's all made for the television cameras. You dig a little bit into it, and there's no substance. And there's even some radicals on Twitter today that are frustrated. Where's the substance? One commentator from the left, fired by Trump during the Trump years, he says, with respect, I must say that an executive summary should never, ever, ever run to 154 pages, period, full stop, he says, ever. This, uh, this was Morning Joe's take earlier today, clip seven. On one hand, the referral is of great symbolic and historical importance. No question about that. No committee of Congress has ever referred a former president for prosecution. If you look at it from the vantage point of the committee, it has great meaning. If you look at it from the vantage point of the Department of Justice, where I used to work, it is almost literally meaningless. It doesn't have any precedential value, no evidentiary value, uh, no substantive value, no procedural value. The Department of Justice has great investigators, great agents. They've been doing this work. They know which statutes would be applicable. Um, if the committee really wants to help the Department of Justice, and I presume they do, there are a couple ways to do that. Telling the Department of Justice what charges it ought to bring isn't all that helpful. There's a guy that's basically saying, you know, to the committee, I mean, this is very important. It's very serious. So much meaning. But to the DOJ, that may be another story. Now, we may uh, argue with that a little bit, given how corrupt the DOJ is. The Twitter files continue to expose that. We'll get to that in just a second. This is Sundance's take over at Conservative Treehouse. It's pretty humorous. He, he cuts through all of the fluff and says, this is what it's really about. They hate Donald Trump. It's all politics. The J6 committee has announced they have found President Trump guilty of four counts of campaigning against their Democrat candidates and attempting to disrupt the D.C. system. That's what this is about. He's, he's a disruptor. He came in and went to war against the deep state, and they hate him for that. Disrupt the D.C. system of governing and financial graft. The committee formally announced their intent today for political referrals to the Biden-Obama Justice Department. See, he's right on this. He puts Obama in there with Biden. It's Joe Obama. Obama behind the scenes, like Tucker said in that clip we played yesterday. It says here, in addition to holding other scandalous political conversations, President Trump is accused of, one, aiding and comforting disgruntled voters. <laughs> aiding and, and comforting disgruntled voters. Number two, obstructing Congress's January 6th joint session by holding a political rally in D.C. Number three, conspiring with some unknown entity to make false claims to the bureaucrats in the National Archives about his private papers. Very serious. And ultimately... Four, conspiring to defraud the United States and deprive Washington, D.C. of its business model. He's a disruptor. He's an outsider. He's not establishment. And so Liz Cheney hates him. 
Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, you know, the ones that are on their way out of Congress because so many people despise them. And yet they would have you believe that Donald Trump is everything that's wrong with the United States. Mitch McConnell comes out with a statement right away. Everybody knows. Everybody knows who was the cause of all this. It's the bad orange man, of course. They came out, by the way, with it was it was it was supposed to be 3000 pages. This omnibus spending, this spending bill, one point seven trillion dollars. Congressman Congressman Massey had it right. This is worse than anything compared to January 6th or any protest. What these congressmen and women are doing to the country, what's included in these bills, it's criminal. $1.7 trillion, 4,000 pages. What do they have? Two days to read it before it passes this week. Nobody reads it. It just, just a few insiders working deep within the deep state, deep within the establishment. There's a, there's a, 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 a clause in this, uh, this spending pack. It's a spending bill, and yet there's a law that's been added into this. It's called the Electoral Count Act. The Electoral Count. This is introduced by Mitch McConnell's, uh, his best friend in, in Alaska, Susan Collins. He, you know, remember, he, he supported Collins's rerun and wouldn't support the Trump-endorsed uh, candidate. Okay, so she wins because of that weird election system they have in Alaska. And she's the one who sponsors this addition to this omnibus spending bill. It's the Electoral Count Act, and it's meant to modernize the outdated 1887 Electoral Count Act. This is all part of the, the budget, right? This is a paragraph from uh, Collins's work. It says, role of the vice president. What? Now, why are they getting into this, do you suppose? The role of the vice president affirmatively states that constitutional role of the vice president as the presiding officer of the joint meeting of Congress is solely ministerial and that he or she does not have any power to solely determine, accept, reject, or otherwise adjudicate disputes over electors. Isn't it amazing that on the very day that they come out with the, these criminal referrals that's going over to the DOJ, unprecedented, by the way, they're sending this over saying, yeah, Donald Trump came up with this illegal plan, this plot to, uh, to kind of pressure Mike Pence into adjudicating the dispute over the 2020 election. And of course, we were told all the way into that. And even after January 6th, that what Donald Trump was doing there was unlawful. Well, then why are they coming out with this? What is it called? The Electoral Count Act. They're, they're in, inserting this into the bill. To tell you, just so that you know, the vice president, it's just a ceremonial position that he has the day everything gets certified in Congress. They're coming out and clarifying. What they're doing is basically proving that Donald Trump had a legal argument. They're just trying to lock this down now, quietly sneaking it in to the omnibus spending package. Listen, this is from the concluding hearing yesterday from the January 6th committee. It's a guy named Pete Aguilar. He's part of the committee. This is clip 10. In the weeks before January 6th, Mr. Trump turned to the man who had served him loyally for four years. He embraced an illegal scheme proposed by John Eastman and others who concocted an unfounded legal theory that the vice president could reject Joe Biden's electoral votes during the joint session. 
an illegal scheme or, or an unfounded legal theory. This is what they're hammering Trump at in this committee. They're, they're hammering Trump on this right here in this committee. And of course, even back at the time, Mike Pence was saying, I have no constitutional authority to do anything. So fine, he stepped aside. He didn't do anything. He was too cowardly to act. Donald Trump was like any one of these Democrats that would have said, hey, there's foul play here. Let's look for what legal, just like Carrie Lake in Arizona. Let's look for the legal avenues we have to at least consider to examine the evidence. And Mike Pence, as it happens, many believe because of that 1887 law, that he had the authority to adjudicate, to at least send it back to the states or to give it 10 days as Ted Cruz wanted. But here's this guy on the committee saying what Donald Trump did was illegal. And then the same day they come out with this omnibus spending where Susan Collins just kind of quietly puts in this little, what is it, a statute? I don't know what it's called, but it's basically the Electoral Count Act. We just want you to know that from this point forward, the vice president's role, it's just kind of ceremonial. That's all. He doesn't really have any authority. They, their actions prove that Donald Trump was onto something. Their actions prove that Donald Trump's theory wasn't evidently unfounded. I think his lawyers, his team of lawyers, were on to something. They reveal themselves. They expose themselves. Just look at the fruits. Look at what they're doing. Look at what they say. Look at what they say in front of the camera. And then dig into the 154-page summary of all things. 154 pages. They've got nothing. They've got nothing. Now, again, the DOJ is corrupt. There's plenty of corrupt judges in the United States. We'll see how that it plays out in the, the weeks and months ahead. This, uh, Richard sent me this from Edstone today. It's from the BBC. I mentioned that story a couple of weeks ago where the BBC was basically talking about Hunter's laptop and telling an audience in Britain, yeah, it's real, and uh, I guess the FBI covered it up. This is news to a lot of people in Britain. Well, today they've got this exchange. It's this, uh, this uh, I forget the name of the journalist. It's later in my notes. But he's one of the top uh, journalists in Britain working for the BBC. He's interviewing a guy named Tony Schaefer. He's a retired military intelligence officer, an American, who was uh, apparently advising Trump in the lead up to 2020, the, the, the run for re-election. Listen to this exchange between the interviewer and this retired intelligence officer. This is clip two. The poll showed that the number of uh, Republicans wanting to be the candidate dropped below 50%. Are you saying all that's going to be reversed? I do. I am. And I'm saying that. And I'm saying that it may, it may not be immediate, but this is giving Donald Trump ammunition to say again that he was set up, he was targeted, it's all political. They are the legislative branch. Congress legislates. They have no authority for criminal charges or this sort of thing. So you're looking at a situation, and you just said it's a political document. Department of Justice will do nothing. President Trump will never be found guilty of any of those four allegations. All this does is give him political hay to use against the Democrats and against the other Republicans who might oppose him. So there's the BBC journalist. His name is Nick Robinson. And he's talking to this guy basically saying, well, he's finished, right? I mean, you've got this, uh, this, these criminal referrals. Uh, you've got polls showing it's under 50% among Republicans now. They've all moved to DeSantis, right? And this Schaefer guy says, no, I, I think that's, this is only going to give Donald Trump more ammunition 
as Americans look at this and say, again, this is, this is not deserved in any way, shape, or form. The persecution that they're leveling at him from every direction. And so this guy speaks pretty confidently, Mr. Schaefer. And he says, uh, I think in the end this helps him. You know, we're still two years out. But this is basically what Donald Trump said himself on Truth Social. Keep attacking me if you want. But that's, that's just going to generate more enthusiasm for my campaign. Listen again to this uh, exchange on BBC earlier today, clip three. It is still possible, isn't it, that he might be found guilty on charges brought by the Justice Department over tax returns, for example, over the retention of secret documents at Mar-a-Lago and, indeed, around the January 6th events as well? I don't believe the last one at all. No, January 6th was something that everybody should, indeed, basically hold people accountable for. But I was in the crowd that day. President Trump did his speech, and a number of folks broke away and did that. And I would argue, based on the fact that there's evidence that the FBI, our Federal Bureau of Investigation, had people in the crowd inciting the violence. You think the FBI uh, got the crowd going? Uh, they're going to be actually uh, releasing all the video footage of that day, some of which has been held back. Held back by the January 6th committee, by the way. But uh, here again, this uh, would have come as news to a lot of people in Britain. There it is going out over the airwaves on the BBC. And the, the interviewer, are you saying the FBI is behind it? He had no clue, had never even heard this. Now, later on, I'll play a clip for you in a moment, what he says after he pretty abruptly cuts off this interview. First, the guy gets into the FBI being responsible for the violence. That's what he said in Britain, on BBC, the, the leading broadcaster in Britain just today. He said the FBI was behind the violence. Then they get into the election and whether or not there was any foul play. And that's what really ended the interview abruptly, wherein, wherein then the, uh, the interviewer, his name again is Nick Robinson, he came back and talked about this allegation that the FBI was behind the violence. Listen to clip five. That allegation that the FBI was behind the violence is was new to me, I have to say, when I heard it there, but it is not new. It has been made. It's been denounced as a conspiracy theory. We'll do some more work on it and uh, maybe bring you some more information. It's interesting how it was new to him. I, I, I guess that means he had never heard it, which for a prominent BBC journalist seems unlikely or, or at least surprising. But to just take him at his word, he says in the same sentence, that allegation, it was new to me, and yet it's a, a conspiracy theory. How, how, can, how does he know it's a conspiracy theory if he's never even heard of it himself? I hope he does look into it some more. I hope that they do report on it some more. And given the fact that the Times of London, which is about as left-wing as the BBC, just now only recently got around to the Hunter Biden laptop, it's heartening that maybe they will finally do some digging across the pond and report some truth instead of just generating or, or echoing the narratives established by the FBI, the DOJ, Twitter, mainstream media, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This uh, story from the Times, I know I gave this to you a couple of weeks ago, but this was, again, in the Saturday uh, edition 
as Richard was saying at the time, it's just unusual to see an in-depth feature on a subject such as this, even though we talk about it and discuss it all the time on this program, it's just not that way in mainstream media in Britain. Even now, as it is clear, the laptop is not just real, but a scandal. It's not just that it's real. The contents on it are real, says the Times. It's scandalous. The media keep away from the story. The dozens of former intelligence chiefs who made such a highly unconstitutional intervention in an election, in an election remain uncensured. And it looks as though the true story of the collaboration between Democratic Party operatives, Biden family supporters, elements of the intelligence agencies, and the world's most powerful social media platforms is only now beginning to come out. We've had, of course, several Twitter files revelations since this article. I think it was posted on December 10. But just coming back to this BBC exchange, listen to this and, and notice how this is the final comment that Schaefer makes. And then Nick Robinson just kind of cuts it off abruptly. But the last statement that Schaefer makes, explosive, this is clip four. Just for clarity, uh, sure. do you believe, and I'm, I know you've answered this before, but our listeners won't have heard it before. Sure. Do you believe that Donald Trump legitimately lost the 2020 election and it was free and fair? I believe that the results speak for themselves, but I do believe there was cheating. I do believe there was anomalies. I personally investigated one of the incidents of, uh, of ballot fraud, which Bill Barr, the Attorney General of the United States called me and demanded I stop investigation. That's an anomaly, if there ever was one. But overall, was so, it a free, fair and legitimate election? No. And then after that, interview's over. Yeah, you can't get into the election steal. That's a bridge too far. Well, okay, maybe we'll talk about the FBI. I've got to look into this more. Uh, Hunter's laptop now, that's free game. But, but the election steal, no. This guy says that he was investigating it himself and that Bill Barr called him. He's the head of the DOJ at the time. Bill Barr called him and demanded that he stop the investigation. So let's just see if we can get a picture of the DOJ in the year 2020. Bill Barr is in charge. Bill Barr is irate with Wolf Blitzer about the prospect of tens of millions of mail-in votes going out in the lead up to the presidential election. And at that same time, his DOJ was working actively. The Twitter files prove this. They were working behind the scenes to censor the story, to cover up the truth about the Hunter Biden laptop, and after the election, to stop any and all investigations into, into the incidents of fraud. That's your DOJ. That is Bill Barr's DOJ underneath President Donald J. Trump. It's like someone tweeted this morning. They interfered. We went through this yesterday on the show. They interfered in the 2016 election. They interfered in the entirety of Donald Trump's presidency. They interfered. The deep state, the DOJ, the FBI, they interfered in the 2020 election. They completed the steal, and they interfered in 2022, just a few weeks ago. And this guy who tweeted that said, where are the, the Republicans? Where's the GOP? These people are cheating right and left. They're censoring truth. They're interfering in elections. And, and there's rarely a voice out there that even speaks out against it. The Twitter files 
part seven, the FBI knew, they knew all through 2020 that Hunter's laptop was real. Keep in mind, what, what these batches, these most recent ones in, in particular, what they reveal is that the FBI interfered in 2020, but they did in 2020, uh, 2016 in other ways. But in 2020, they interfered exactly the way they accused Russia of interfering in 2016. They lied about that. And then 2020 comes along, and they do it. They actually did it. A few Russian bots in 2016, seriously? The FBI knew in advance that the Post story was about to come out. They worked to get ahead of the story. They worked with Twitter and Facebook, as you heard from Mark Zuckerberg earlier this week. I guess it was yesterday's show. They worked to censor the truth because they knew it would be so damaging to the Biden family and to Biden's uh, pursuit of the presidency. Yoel Roth, he's the one that worked internally at Twitter and had such a cozy relationship with Elvis Chan, who worked in the FBI field office in San Francisco. Sundance says that there was so much corruption in the, the, the D.C. office in and around 2016 because of the fake Russia collusion story and Peter Strzok and all these corrupt FBI agents that they were moving more and more of the effort over to San Francisco, closer to Silicon Valley. And uh, they coordinated the attack, the censorship, all of those things from the field office in San Francisco. Michael Schellenberger, he's the one that revealed this latest, latest batch of Twitter files. Listen to what he had to say last night on Tucker's show, clip nine. And the picture you get is one of existing FBI agents outside of Twitter and former FBI officials joining Twitter. You mentioned the former general counsel of the FBI becoming the, uh, the deputy general counsel of Twitter. Also, the deputy chief of staff of the FBI went to Twitter. In fact, there were so many FBI officials at Twitter that they had their own internal messaging system. They actually had their own cue card to kind of train people going from FBI to Twitter. And so there was this relentless pressure by external FBI agents on Twitter to basically adapt its uh, content moderation, also to share information. So, Tucker, more investigative work needs to be done, but this looks like a kind of psychological operation that you would see the CIA conducting in foreign countries, not something that you would see intelligence agents in the United States perpetrating against both news organizations but also social media platforms, namely Twitter and Facebook. It's a disturbing pattern that I think our reporting today showed. Schellenberger says more investigative work needs to be done here. But, but like Sundance point, points out, the problem becomes when the National Law Enforcement Agency is running corrupt political operations, who is left to investigate them? Who's left to investigate the FBI? If the FBI and the DOJ are corrupt through and through, how are you going to get to the, the truth of the matter? Or, or how are you going to hold people to account? Here's Schellenberger talking about these FBI agents inside of Twitter and outside and how they had their own language even, their own code. They were wanting to open up top secret security clearance so that they could have just these open lines. We don't want any obstacles like I covered on yesterday's show. 
We just want good communication. Make sure that when we send in the request, you can act on it quickly. At one point, Yoel Roth, he responded to Elvis Chan saying, we haven't yet identified activity that we'd typically refer to you or even flag as interesting in the foreign influence context. Very, very cozy relationship. That's Twitter emailing to the FBI field office in San Francisco. And I mean, it was peak activity in 2020. That's right, right as they were coming up to the 2020 election, the presidential election, here's the FBI providing Twitter executives with a fake news narrative to run with. No, it's fake. It's got all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. Blot it out. Pull the plug on the New York Post. This is from Michael Schellenberger, number 46 in his, uh, his uh, Twitter reveal yesterday. He says the FBI's influence campaign may have been helped by the fact that it was paying Twitter millions of dollars for its staff time. I'm happy, this is quote, I'm happy to report that we have collected 3.4 million since October 2019, reports an associate of Jim Baker in early 2021. Baker, remember, used to work for Comey at the FBI. Then he's lead counsel inside of Twitter. He was, I mean, he was absolutely furious leading up to the censorship of Biden's laptop, that anyone would suggest that, well, it doesn't really violate any rules. No, we got to blot it out. No, we got to censor it. He was working at Twitter until just a few weeks ago, causing all those problems for Elon Musk, who was just trying to, who was just trying to expose the truth. And, and Jim Baker stood in the way of that. Here's your FBI using taxpayer dollars, mind you, to pay Twitter for its services in censoring you, censoring Americans, using your money to censor you through Twitter. It, and Twitter's benefiting. So Twitter's making a profit. Twitter's 3.4 million. Sure, we'll, we'll pull the plug on that. No problem. Elon Musk inherited a crime scene. And he's trying to clean it up. And because of that, well, he's, if, he's not up at Donald Trump's level. He's not as big of a target as Trump, but he's close. He's close. They hate the fact that he's exposing the truth, that he's exposing corruption. The FBI interfering in an election in the United States? It's like Schellenberger told Tucker, this is the kind of thing that maybe you could see the CIA doing in some third world nation that's headed up by a dictator or an authoritarian of some kind, but the FBI orchestrating this right at home to prevent Donald Trump from being reelected? It happened. It absolutely happened. And now it's being exposed. If you haven't requested America under attack, the 800 number. If you live in the U.S., Canada, the Caribbean, it's 1-866-930-3024. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily, the email address, tdatthetrumpet.com. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. 
Someone, something is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. Brief moment of uh, comic relief coming to you. This is a tweet from Scott Adams. He's the cartoonist. The January 6th committee reminds America that we can never again allow a small band of unarmed protesters to conquer the largest military power in the history of human civilization by sauntering through the Capitol Rotunda and taking selfies. We were so close to losing everything. <laughs> That's in response, I'm sure, to the, uh, the White House press conference lady who said yesterday that, yeah, it was the worst thing since the Civil War. Worse than Pearl Harbor, I guess. Worse than 9-11. It'll be interesting, this uh, former intelligence officer who says that the truth, as he sees it, is going to be exposed about January 6th, as if we don't know enough already. I mean, Tucker's had an original documentary on it, and many others have uh, commented on it and have shown things online about it. But more of that footage is to be released in January, said that intel officer that was interviewed on the BBC. So to switch over to uh, the study, we interrupted it briefly yesterday on the show, but with Friday, we concluded in Galatians 2 and verse uh, 20, this subject of Christ in you. And it's an important subject, especially at this time of year, because in the world of tr traditional Christianity, particularly at this time of year, Jesus Christ is, is represented as a helpless baby in a manger, or, or sometimes he's just seen as uh, someone who's dead hanging on a tree. But like is revealed in the New Testament, especially in books like Hebrews, but, but Romans, others as well. I mean, he's, he's living today, has been for 2,000 years. And if you're a true Christian, he is living in you. I'll just read Galatians 2.20 again. It says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is, this is how we, God says followers of Christ, if they're following in his steps, he's guiding them. He's living in them. It's his mind 
that's directing the way. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 2 and verse 5. I'll just take you now through quite a few verses in Colossians chapter 1. So many of these, these passages coming out from Paul's epistles. I've been on that, of course, this year with one of my college classes. But Colossians 1 and verse 23, it says, If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. And then down in verse 25, it says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery, which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints. I mean, for most people, these are mysterious truths. So many of these truths that we discuss in the second segment of this program, but to, to God's people, it's so plain, it's so clear, it's been made manifest, it's, made, it's been made known to the church Verse 27 says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope and glory. Christ in you, that's the mystery made known to God's family. Christ living in us. If he's living in us, he's living the same way that he lived during his earthly ministry 2,000 years ago, totally submitted to the Father's will putting the highest priority on his relationship with God, drawing on the power of God, being led of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. And then verse 28, again, this is Colossians 1, it says, "...whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus." See, it leads to perfection. Christ in you. You in Christ. As I said last week, that verse in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul referring to himself saying, I knew a man in Christ. And here you see these verses about Christ in you. What a relationship. What a mystery. This is from uh, an article Herbert Armstrong wrote back in 1980. It says, God's salvation is not something that you collect only after you die. It is a practical, common sense, useful salvation which starts in your everyday life right here and now. And then Mr. Armstrong says, what needless pains some of us have been suffering, what needless fears and worries you may have been carrying around, what wonderful times, what happiness you may have cheated yourself out of just because you have not realized and taken advantage of the very present and all-powerful help of your living Savior. You've got to take advantage of that help that's there. Jesus Christ, as I say, he lives. He lives. Christ in you and you in Christ. Do you draw on that power, that strength that God and Jesus Christ are so eager to provide? Let's switch over to 1 John, the epistle of John, his first book, chapter 4. And we'll just read the first three verses of 1 John uh, 4. Number one, it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby, verse 2 says, 
Hereby know you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is coming, it should read, in the flesh of God, is coming, that's present tense. In my father's book, The Last Hour, you can call the same 800 number to request any of the other books. All the literature we offer is offered without cost, without obligation. Just call our operators, one 930 3024. In the last hour book, my father says, is Jesus Christ really coming in the flesh through you in everything you do? He says, if so, it revolutionizes your life. It's like Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, yet I live, but it's not me who's living. It's Christ in me. He was totally submitted to Christ. He was a slave of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 3, staying here in 1 John 4, And every spirit that confesses not that Christ is coming in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should, that it should come, and even now, already, it is, uh, is it in the world. Again, that word confess there, it means to show that you follow Christ by words and by deeds. It's another way of saying you know, faith with works, that's in James chapter 2, but it can't be, you know, by hearing only. We've got to hear and believe and then use this information, practice this, this way of life. Look at chapter 5, 1 John 5 and verse 12. It says, he that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. You see, it's only when Christ is living in us it's only when you have the Son that you have life. He has to, like chapter 4 says, he has to come again in our flesh. And if that happens, it's only after we've repented and believed and then been baptized and received the Spirit of God, and then by that power, Jesus can live in us. Jesus can fill our flesh with his mind, with his existence, with his power. Mr. Armstrong says this, This means God injects his life, not only his life, but also his mind, and also his character, also his attitude of love, of cooperation, of giving, of concern for others, as much as concern for self, selflessness. It says God is going to make us into his own children, into God's. I mean, this is quite the miraculous process that's playing out here. Matthew 5, 48 says, Become perfect like your Father in heaven. So when coming into the church, and again, this is where so many churches, they just get it flat out wrong because they don't, they don't really say that you have to change anything. But when coming into the true church, you, you really do have to change. That's what repentance means. I, I've mentioned to the students multiple times this semester that example where you had the, the uh, fornication going on, and everyone knew about it in the, in the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 5 describes it. And Paul said, look, I'm not there yet in person, but I'll just go ahead and make the judgment here in letter. He needs to be suspended for the church or from the church for a time. And he was invited back after he repented. But, you know, what church does that? Today, I mean. You don't hear that ever happening in the world of traditional Christianity. 
But in God's church, Jesus told the ministers of God to make sure that you protect the flock, and sometimes certain issues have to be dealt with. There needs to be correction here or over here. Paul, I mean, he talked about being helpers of their joy in 2 Corinthians, so it wasn't just all correction at all. It was rare, in fact. But it was, nevertheless. You read 1 and 2 Corinthians, and you get, you get a, a complete picture of the way a true minister presides over a congregation or a region. And you see God's love in all of it. God's trying to shape us and mold us into a God being. I mean, that requires a miraculous transformation. Notice Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2 and verse 8. It says, You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. That's speaking of man's incredible human potential. God wants to give us jurisdiction over the entire universe, but we've got to qualify for positions such as that. Verse 9 says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, or for a little while lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. So he sacrificed his life for mankind. Verse 10 says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. So Christ was the pioneer. He was the first, the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8, 29. He was made perfect through his sufferings. He was resurrected from the dead. After three days, three nights in the grave, he's now at the right hand of God, serving as our advocate and high priest, and living in us through the power of God's Spirit, if we're yielded to God. Verse 11, and Moffat says, For sanctifier and sanctified have all one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. See, we're all one happy family, the God family. We've got another book called The God Family Vision. Again, this is little understood in the world of Christianity today. The fact that God is a family. We have another book that goes by that title. The 800 number if you want any of the literature we mentioned today. 866-930-3024. That's all we have time for on today's show, unfortunately. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily, we certainly appreciate you joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow.